Horses, once a part of the working ranch used daily to today, not so much. I mean, the job is different. The economics is different. There's a lot of things that are different. Idaho horseman Martin Black is my guest as we talk about the evolution of using horses looking back to when they were highly essential to today's ranches that may or may not rely on the use of a horse. Also, who were his influences growing up in the Great Basin area of the West and the economics of using a horse over mechanical options. Plus, limousine cattle, it's the breed we'll highlight in today's Breed Spotlight. On this episode, of the Working Ranch Radio Show. Welcome again to another episode of the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. Thanks for joining us here on our program today. This is episode 65, and if you want to go back and you want to listen to it later on or you want to share it, you can sure do that. Go to your web browser or pretty much any podcast provider out there like Spotify or Pandora or, or Apple, any of those, uh, any of the, the majors and the minors is like what, what I usually refer to them as. Uh, you can go and you can listen to those shows that uh, we've had some great episodes here for 2022 already. And I encourage you to go back and listen to some of those. If you are in ranching or you make your living on ranching or hobby as ranching or cows or anything of that nature, there's some great episodes that I think will be useful for you to go back and listen to. Today, though, our guest, if you heard in the very beginning, Martin Black uh, with Martin Black Horsemanship out of Bruno, Idaho. Horseman and Stockman will be joining us. We're going to be talking about how the we've seen the use of horse changing from early, early years back in uh, many, many years ago when it was pretty much an essential tool on the ranch to today may not be used as much. Now, there's sure an awful lot of ranches that use horses or have horses horses but maybe the use has gone down a little bit we're going to talk about that evolution how it's changed a little bit and also just uh, the economics of that and some interesting information that he's going to share with us regarding that so i'm excited to have our conversation today with martin black also something today we're bringing back into our show a breed spotlight mart anderson executive director for the north american limousine foundation will be talking uh, with us about the limousine breed as they are centered in our breed spotlight here today coming up in just a few moments also, as we do in our very last segment today, meteorologist Don Day will be joining us with that look of our long-term weather. Right now, a quick look at the bull sale calendar this week. Jorgensen Land and Cattle with their 50th anniversary bull sale. That'll be Monday, April 11th at 1 o'clock at the ranch in Ideal, South Dakota, selling 175 head of registered Angus bulls. JorgensenFarms.com for more information. That'll be on DV Auction. Also, DLCC Ranch with their 30th annual production sale. That's going to be Saturday. Saturday, April 16th, there at the ranch of Piers, Minnesota, offering over 90 head of South Devon and South Devon influenced composite bulls. Find out more at dlccranch.com and you can do that online at Superior's Click to Bid. A thank you now to the sponsors of the Working Ranch Radio Show, the American Simmental Association, Sim Genetics, Profit Through Science. Find out more at Simmental.org. Bobcat, one tough tractor. Visit Bobcat.com and use the build and quote tool to design 
your ideal machine. The American Hereford Association, come home to Hereford. The American Angus Association, look for the registration number when you're buying bulls. Buy the power by registered Angus bulls. And finally, the North American Limousine Foundation, limousine cattle deliver to your bottom line. And with that, let's head into this week's edition of Your Breed Spotlight, and we welcome Executive Director for the North American Limousine Foundation, Mark Anderson. And Mark, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Oh, glad to be on here, Justin. Appreciate you having us. Well, Mark, it was about six months ago when you and I last talked. And of course, uh, in August of last year, a lot of ranchers, a lot of us thinking about uh, selling our calves and getting ready for fall work and everything. This time of the year here in the spring, some have calves on the ground, still some yet to calve. But it's also kind of that bull buying time of the year where in our minds, probably a little bit more receptive to the idea of if we're going to be looking at making some changes to our, our programs our and the the genetics that are in those this might be that time and i know when it comes to limousine cattle something that you have uh, you and i have talked quite a bit about is the fact that there's been a change in these cattle from maybe what they were 15 20 years ago to what we see today there is a difference there is justin and it's correct you pointed out i mean the last five to ten years well, we've seen a lot of change in the business and everybody else has too. But um, you take our breed, for instance, you, you look at our registrations now, we're 80% black hided and a lot of those cattle, I mean, the market, you know, the money talks and kind of drives a demand on the black hided cattle and there's still room, good room for red cattle in the business. But um, the change in the type and the kind and folks that are using these in a crossbreeding program on a set of Angus or red Angus cows has really picked up for us. Um, the ability to get the hybrid bigger. And I look at how far our breed has come in the last five years. You're getting some bigger, deeper, softer made bulls that still carry enough ribeye. Um, but these, these folks have done a good job in uh, looking at market signals and improving their marbling EPDs and their matings the last five, six years. So um, the cattle work extremely well in that cross spread environment. And if, uh, at tight of margins as things are in this business and we look at feed costs i mean those extra pounds at weaning weight and that added performance not only coming off the scale at weaning time but in that feed yard as well it, it paid big dividends and people are trying to take advantage of that out there mm-hmm. you know the other thing in today's uh world you know we're hearing more about you know all natural type products that are available and those kinds of programs that are there and and so we we've had uh, different folks on the program here that's talked about you know how do we create uh, create more marketability for these cattle and one of the things that of course it always comes up is heterosis, which is a natural mechanism to increase that uh, mm-hmm. that gain in these cattle, which with a continental breed like limousine, boy, you have that ability. And you're right. I mean, and that's uh, maybe I just say from my feeding back around where I'd manage yards for like 20 years, we were feeding a ton of natural cattle up in the northern Colorado area, and a lot of those cattle were being shipped into natural programs. Um, but we found out pretty quick if we were going to do that and take all the implants out. Um, of course, Thailand and everything else goes with it. But uh, we needed that extra hybrid bigger, and particularly on something with a cross, um, to be able to get those cattle on a, a done efficiently, cost of gain wise, and not only that, go to a bigger outweight and try to maintain your yield grade deal. And you know, quality grade still key. That's where a lot of the big premiums are coming not only in the upper two-thirds, but also prime. Um, but you've got a cost to get there and to do that. Uh, if you can do that with that uh, limousine cross back into those 
good English based cows, it really helps to close out out and it really does help uh, as far as getting the harvest data back on these grids too, mm-hmm. as far as premiums go, mm-hmm. Justin. Well, and I know last August when you and I talked a little bit, you were, ta- you were talking about some of the data coming out and there's more of that uh, available. And that's something that uh, you're really looking at and seeing that here's, here's some proven information that we've got from this data we're pulling out too. It is. I mean, we've been blessed. A lot of folks at uh, North American Limousine that are seed stock breeders are also cattle feeders. And uh, as a particular, we've had a very large breeder that feeds a tremendous amount of cattle. And they've been able to capture all that with the pedigree data back on these cattle going to slaughter. And uh, for the most part, uh, that adds accuracy to these EPDs. I mean, it's changed so much now, and we've got so much better, so many better tools as far as the genomics, combining with all the phenotypes, the ultrasound data, the weight trait data. But when you actually start to get actual individual kill data back, and you can track it to both sire and dam, the accuracies go up on those bulls. So there's no doubt. I mean, you've still got to be a cattleman and get out in the country and look at the structure and the rib shape on the cattle and how they are for kind and, you know, just being able to be a cattleman. But you apply that with what's available now through most of these breed associations and, and what's available on these EPDs. Um, those EPDs are a lot more accurate than they would have been 10 years ago. So it's kind of exciting, and particularly for those that are serious-minded about trying to raise the right kind of cattle, the most cost-efficient and profitable cattle, a lot more tools now that we didn't have just than just a few short years ago, Justin. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, uh, just one final question here, maybe something quick here, and that is what's kind of coming up for the North American Limousine Foundation? Well, right now, as we speak, I mean, we're kind of a half, two-thirds of the way for our bull sale season, so we've got that to finish up yet through the month, you know, of April here, and we're going to look forward to hopefully getting some more moisture in the country for everybody involved, regardless of what kind of cattle they're using, but for us as a breed, you know, I think the biggest key is we're probably going to be developing more indexes, and as we go down the road, we're looking at trying to find something that more directly correlates with feed performance, given the fact that beef production, 70% of that cost is in feed cost. And, you know, when you look at the cost of feed out there today for all folks involved in this business, that we need to do a little bit more there from the standpoint other than just grabbing post-weaning gain. Um, We're going to look at trying to get some more individual feed intake data and dry matter conversion along with average daily gain performance on progeny and get that incorporated into our EPD sets eventually. So we're excited about that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Mark, I appreciate you joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Nope. Thanks for having us, Justin. Take care. And if you'd like to find out more about the North American Limousine Foundation, you can go to their website at NALF.org and find just a lot of information there about uh, the programs and about the cattle as well. Well, normally in this first segment, we'd hear from the Captain Tim O'Byrne, publisher and editor of Working Ranch Magazine, for his two cents. However, sent me an email last week and said, he and the missus, we're going to take a little time off. Well, he's been cranking out issues of Working Ranch Magazine here for this spring, so I think time is well-deserved for him. So, Captain, take a good week off, and uh, we welcome you back here next week on the show. Well, stay with us. When we come back, Horseman Martin Black out of Idaho will be joining us as our guest when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. If you could do something today that would bring you a profit tomorrow, would you do it? 
In the cattle business, it's about efficiency. And with Limousine Genetics in your herd, your profit is just one calf crop away. With Limousine or Limflex cattle, it's more pounds, naturally, to sell at weaning. It's growth and feed efficiency with the added benefit of carcass merit. The other side of the profit coin with Limousine Genetics is the maternal efficiency, docility, and longevity of your cows and bulls. It's as simple as Limousine Today profit tomorrow. Sale season's here again, and there are a lot of black-hided Angus bulls on the market, but not all of them are registered. Why take the risk? Don't gamble on unproven genetics. Invest wisely with registered, powered by Angus bulls. Backed by the power of the American Angus Association and 80 million data points, registered Angus bulls give you the confidence in your buying decisions. Don't buy an imposter. Look for the registration number. Buy the power. Buy registered Angus bulls. Welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. As we head now towards the main segment of our program here today on our featured interview, and I'm pleased to have Martin Black with Martin Black Horsemanship. He's out of Bruno, Idaho. And Martin, thanks for joining us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Thank you for having me. Well, as we were talking off air, I was sharing with Martin the fact that uh, my grandpa was a young man in his in early 1900s that uh, uh, grew up and needed a job to do and, and of course grew up as they all did back then being around a lot of horses and a lot of livestock and grew up uh, breaking horses for the Keeneline Ranch was a, which was a large ranch in, in northeastern Wyoming and uh, back then the way they did it uh, a little bit different today Martin than how we do it today. Yeah there's a lot of things that have changed you know horses used to, to roam out on the range and they had very little handling uh before they got on them and and uh put them to work uh you know they branded them and when they was young and kicked them about back out on the range until he was six years old they never liked to handle or ride anything until it was at least six and sometimes they was older than that mm-hmm which I think is interesting because we don't really in today with training horses, we really don't see people waiting that long on horses. Yeah, I mean the job is different, the economics is different. There's a lot of things that are different. Recreation world, uh, you know, that's that's the main market now where they were working horses, you know, back then. Mm-hmm. You know, in the last twenty years or so, I, I think we've seen some element of a resurgence come back of interest by folks both ranch folks as well as those that maybe live off the ranch in town somewhat and that tie back into horses and i i put some of that back on the fact that rfd tv was one of the first things that uh really made it a lot easier for folks to just turn on the tv and watch a clinician right from there and that of course was in the early 2000s and nowadays with technology what it is now uh, it's various means where uh, clinicians and horsemen can communicate with folks out there. And so as that has evolved in the last 20 years or so, let's talk about some of the positive and the negatives of that resurgence and what it's brought along here in the industry. And let's first start with maybe some of the good things. Well, the, the good thing is there's there's a lot of people like myself that can uh, make, make a living, uh, you know, with, with the horse industry and and, you know, my family did to an extent, you know, they raised a lot of horses and, and sold them, but they didn't sell the knowledge and they, you know, they didn't sell much for training. Uh, what I mean by that is they they sold a lot of green broke horses, but, uh, you know, a, a bridle horse, you know, a horse that was 
a finished horse, well-made horse, you know, and even in my granddad's time, you know, the early part of the 1900s, uh, a horse that had a lot of time on didn't bring that much that, you know, than a, than a good, you know, young horse, like the army paid $150 for horses at one time. And, you know, a good finished horse wasn't worth much more than that. Mm-hmm. I want to flip the coin now and look at it from the other side. And as we were talking about this resurgence in the last 20 years or so of really kind of the boom in this industry for clinicians and trainers and that ability to, to connect with the audience out there in multiple means now, from your perspective, what's maybe some hesitation there? Well, you know, they used to have circuses and they had trick horses and, and you know, they done, back in the day I'm talking, uh, and they they done stuff that really wasn't what you would uh, do in the working world, but it, it was entertainment, yeah. basically, is, is, is what it was. But today in the clinician world, uh, what you see, there, there's a lot of good hands, but there's a lot of them that kind of have a little show and it's it's pretty pretty basic pretty simple and you know they might do some some things that uh impress the audience that are inexperienced but it's not always something the audience can go home and do mm-hmm. and you know in the in their defense it's it's uh to make it sound simple i guess is is what the clinician's doing the guy doing the show mm-hmm. but when the people go home and do it what what they learn is it takes a lot of experience, no matter how dumbed down and simple the program is. It still takes a lot of experience, you know. And they adopt a Mustang that hasn't had any handling. You know, it, it it doesn't work the same with them as it did some pet that was raised in the backyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that's where the horsemanship needs to come in. Uh, it takes a lot of experience to to stay safe even. I guess that's where I'm going with it is if they sell a lot of programs uh, in, a, in a show that if you do this, uh, you know, that's all you got to do to stay safe. But it, it might work a lot of the time, but it's, it's not a foolproof thing. Mm-hmm. Well, several weeks ago, as I was jotting down some ideas of different shows and topics that I wanted to cover here on the Working Ranch Radio Show, a lot of times, if I, as I've said to folks here on the show that has listened, a lot of times my inspiration comes from the things that I'm thinking about or going through here on our ranch in northeastern Wyoming. But nevertheless, um, I Martin, I followed you for quite some time on Facebook and watched uh, some of your videos from time to time on different things. And so you're somebody I wanted to, I wanted to reach out to on this. And we are in that time of the year where we're, we're kind of for us at least we're past the cold cold months and and uh, we're moving cattle around a little bit more so we are out on horseback quite a bit more and so this was kind of where i sort of stemmed from and reaching out to you about that but this time of the year and as we head into the summertime it really is a good time for us to um you know for folks that might have some young horses uh to get some time on them young horses a little bit and put that time in and uh you know calvin and, and getting ready for brand and things like that definitely some good opportunities there well the good thing about little jobs like like calvin and it, it's easy to have two or three horses there to change up you know off and on to through the day where you know even in our country still we use trailers and whatnot we just make trailers a lot more uh, but you, you still can't change horses. You know, you get out there five, ten miles from camp or trailer or whatever. You know, you can't get your young horses rode. Uh, it's, it's too long a days. But like what you're talking about, calving and you know, kind of the fall work when you're in the fields and things like that. 
it's easy to switch horses, you know, at least twice a day, if, if not, you know, every hour or two. And, and so there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, as far as specific things you can work on, there's, you know, whatever the opportunity presents, you know, you could take your rope down and be playing with that and get them, get them exposed to that and, and still be riding through your, your heifers and, and looking around and bringing, bringing a heifer in, you know, if you had to bring one into the barn or, you know, moving, moving them around through the pens or whatever, whatever the situation might offer. Mm-hmm. A lot of opportunity for, for good slow work, I guess, is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Well, and I think, uh, I know for me, one of the things I'm, I'm guilty of when it comes to riding some of these newer or younger horses is not being as patient as I probably should be. And, uh, and you know, we don't, uh, we don't, we don't ride a lot of horses that we end up selling later on, but at the same time, uh, we're always needing some younger horses brought up. And so that's probably something, you know, for myself, I'm not as good about of taking that time and not being patient with those younger horses. And you get into a situation, you're like, well, I'm just going to go grab the old horse because I know all the buttons and how that, and now that works and not maybe spend a little extra time and effort with that younger horse to get them where they need to be. Well, that's the warrior in us, you know, the, the young male <laughs> syndrome, and that's just something that we got to deal with. Uh, you know, and some people learn it earlier than others, and you see older guys that still have a short fuse and impatient and get mad at their horse and things like that. But every once in a while you see a young guy maybe in their 20s or something that that, that never comes to the surface. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's frustrating because we want to get more done, but we we got to regulate ourselves and and uh, not let ourselves do that. We're we're a predator. Horses are a prey animal, and our brains are different. We we think different. We value things different, and it it, it doesn't take much for us to trigger uh, that horse to go into a self preservation mode. And and pretty quick they get to to a point that they quit thinking they quit reasoning they have very little ability to reason anyway compared to us and you know a lot of people don't understand that they think well why does he do that well he thinks different than we do his, his brain's wired different mm-hmm. and uh so that gets in people's way you know when it, the horse knows you're mad before you know you're mad you know and, and uh <laughs> they go into the self-preservation mode and start protecting themselves instead of learning or trying to trying to get with you and help you and whatnot but if we can if we can eliminate that that's huge and that's what you know tom dorrance and, and some of these guys have have really brought uh to the surface you know for people and that's what a lot of these clinicians are, are kind of trying to present to people they don't have near what tom had they don't have the miles or, or the experience or the knowledge you know but but in so many ways you know and they're, they're that's what they're trying to to get across is a kind gentle way but uh that kind of goes overboard to where we pet them and feed them treats and we can't really get anything done with them when it, when it comes to doing a job too, you know, but, but again, that's, that's what sells to the, the ladies in town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause that, that kind of fits the nurture, you know, that's what I call the, the older females is the nurturers and the younger males are the warriors. And, you know, that's, that's by nature, you know, people are wired that way. So not mm-hmm. a criticism of either one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, the, the young males need to soften up and be a little more of a nurturer, but the the nurturers at times they need to firm up and have a little more warrior in them too. To where you know they're they're not lap dogs. These horses they're they're big and they can hurt you. They get scared. They run over you, and 
they get they get hurt. I've seen just many people get hurt, you know, with the with the kindness and the, the gentle horses is uh you know bronc that you know you need to kind of watch mm-hmm. yeah well let's take a break here when we come back we're going to continue my guest today is martin black with martin black horsemanship out of bruno idaho and just a moment ago martin you were talking of a few names that were those that influenced you and i want to talk more about it when we return on the working ranch radio show Today's Profit-Minded Rancher is all about a balanced operation, and when it comes to buying bulls, you look for balanced genetics that utilize the advantages of heterosis. For decades, DLCC Ranch has focused on utilizing the strengths of one of the most feed-efficient breeds in the world, South Devon. This British breed simply provides a proven outcross for a commercial or purebred herd that exploits the benefits of heterosis in both terminal and maternal traits like growth, carcass, and stability. This year, DLCC will be offering over 90 head of South Devon and South Devon Influence Composite Bulls at their sale on Saturday, April 16th. All bulls will be genomically tested and they come with a three-year guarantee. They will also be offering over 50 head of females ranging from elite heifers to replacement heifers and fall pairs. For more information or to request a catalog, go to dlccranch.com. It's the DLCC 30th Annual Production Sale Saturday, April 16th at the ranch near Pierre's, Minnesota, or on Superior's Click to Bid. DLCC, committed to providing South Devon crossbreeding solutions and outcross genetics to commercial cattlemen. At the American Akaushi Association, we're more than prime. The American Akaushi Association was created to help ranchers be more profitable and find opportunities when using Akaushi genetics in their herd. We focus on market opportunities for our members and offer support from conception to consumer. When you choose Akaushi, you have a network right there with you. Experience the difference at Akaushi.com. That's A-K-A-U-S-H-I dot com. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today is Martin Black of Martin Black Horsemanship. He's out of Bruno, Idaho, but uh, that area is what you would call part of the Great Basin. If you've ever heard of that terminology, that's a part of of the country that uh, really, when you see some of those ranches out there, they are few and far between because the country out there is probably not what you would consider high uh, rainfall areas, and so it takes a lot of country to run a cow in that part of the in that part of the world. And so the Great Basin area of southeastern Oregon and the southwestern part of Idaho and quite a bit of Nevada and the western half of Utah is kind of what we would refer to as the Great Basin. And so I know, uh, Martin, that's where you kind of grew up is in that part of the country. I know you call Bruno, Idaho home right now, but you've been uh, different places. And as you grew up and, and you were talking about in the previous segment, some of the people that have been influencers for you, I know one of the names you threw out there was Tom Dorrance, and I know there've been others. So let's start from, from the beginning as you grew up and as you, and as you went through and some of those folks that influenced you. Well, my granddad, I was around a lot when I was young. My, my dad had some health issues and, and, uh, he was around, but he wasn't in the working, working end of it. Uh, and my granddad, you know, he grew up with horses of, you know, I'm fifth generation here in this country and both my maternal and paternal side. So there's, they all worked horses, they all raised horses. It was part of the ranching operation. And, you know, I think kind of got me off to, to a good start. And, you know, I, I looked up to them when I was pretty young and, and, uh, 
then later, uh, I got around Ray Hunt. He was on a ranch in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a cow boss on a ranch in Nevada. And his son-in-law, uh, Bill Van Norman, is another one of my mentors, kind of. And his family ranch just south of us a little ways here in, in northern Nevada. I'm right in the southwest corner of, of Idaho. And and so our, you know, our, our area basically borders a Nevada state line. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the Normans were just in northern Nevada. And my granddad was, was friends with old Charlie Van Norman, Bill's dad. So there's kind of a family connection there. You know, anyway, historically, mm-hmm. and uh, Bill uh, was married to Ray Hunt's daughter, and so Ray spent time there. And I got around Ray, you know, when I uh, went down to Van Norman's to help him start cults. So Bill was kind of one of my mentors. I really respected him, even though he wasn't that much older than me. Yeah. Uh, but Ray, his father-in-law, I got around him more, and and that kind of introduced me to Tom Dorrance and. And then after I got to traveling uh, more, you know, there's some of the people that I took bits and pieces from, but those are are most of the people that uh, had the biggest influence on me. Mm-hmm. Well, definitely some names uh, in the that you talk about there in the in the horse world that uh, a lot of folks are familiar with. So I think uh, interesting that all of that uh, crossed your paths at a young age and and in your early on in your life. Yeah. You know, some people quote one one mentor, and you know they're loyal to them, and that's fine. But you know, to me, you get too hung up on one way of doing things, you miss a lot of other opportunity. And you know, I'd go get around some of these jerk and spur horse trainers, and you know, there's things I like that they got done with their horses. I just didn't like the way they went about it. Sure. But for example, I'd I'd kind of there's a reason my horses do things, and they don't necessarily have to do it scared, but there's got to be some motivation there. So I could just kind of soften that up a little bit, still keep the motivation in there, but but try to try to minimize, if not eliminate the the, the fear factor, at least the big fear factor there, and still get things working. And you know, I, I was always out to to steal whoever whatever I could from whoever I could and put that in my program, even if it took you know, even if it meant t- toning things down or maybe turning things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. When you talk about your phrase there of jerk and spur trainers versus kind of softening that up a little bit, I think something that we have that more modern training has brought to the forefront of, of people, and it's not just in horses, but I think we see it with a cow work and or, or dogs or anything like that, and that is just you know literally the pressure release element that we're that's been kind of brought forward more and it's more talked about, and so from from that standpoint. You know, I think we 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 see that more. We're understanding that more, and it's really in a, in a lot of different elements of whether we're working horses, whether we're working cows, or working dogs. Really, in our whole ranching element, we see that that concept. You know, really having to, if we can understand that and put it into practice, it, it would probably be pretty revolutionary for a lot of folks. Well, I think you know we'll we'll say this modern horsemanship. Uh, Thinks that everything that they used to do in the old days was was rough and tumble and mean to their horses and everything and and I I think that has been around forever you know the, sure. the young man syndrome trying to handle horses but on the other hand uh, I know for a fact my family would open roe deer horses out on the range just like the cattle 
And today, and I'm talking sorting cattle, uh, if, if people aren't familiar with the terminology, just gather your cattle into an open area and sort off the neighbors or sort off ones that needed branded or sold or whatever. And the rest of them stayed on the range and you trailed the others to wherever wherever they needed to go. And, well, they'd done that with, with horses, herds of horses. They was all broke that way. And, and if they, they didn't have corrals to take them to. So if they was going to do some sorting, they had to train the animals to, to stay in the road here and, and be cut out and, and hold them up in what we call the prada. And when you was done, you'd take your prada and, and again, take them wherever you needed to go with them. Well, I do these clinics, uh, you know, teaching stockmanship, I call it, mm-hmm. handling cattle. Uh, and there's so many people can't even work cattle like that. And, and a lot of people on ranches that can't work cattle outside like that. So, yeah, it's, it's become kind of popular, this, this uh, uh, low-stress stockmanship, you know, they're calling it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's hard enough for people to, to figure it out on cattle, and yet they've done it with, with the range horses back in the day. So not everything they'd done back in the day was, was uh, you know, rough and tumble and, and fast, you know, and everything. They had, to, they had to be smooth, and they had to be quiet around them animals to get that kind of stuff done. Mm-hmm. You know, my... my Paul Black, he'd be my great uncle. You know, they said when he was, I can't remember, he was a, t- a young teenager, and he would be in camp alone with a bunch of horses to break. Now, you think about that, and he had to get a, get around them pretty good to to be able to do that by himself. And they hobbled him and, you know, would maybe tie a hind leg up, but it, it, it wasn't necessarily a fight, you know, but, but they'd get a saddle on him and get on him and move around everything uh, on top of the horse and get the horse used to them. And, uh, yeah, their, their legs were restricted, but, but uh, it doesn't mean that the horse has got to be in a bad frame of mind to, to do that. When you, when you start taking the legs away from horses, it puts them in a different mindset. They're not trying to fight. They're not trying to hurt you and whatnot. But the way a lot of people do it, 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 it can be a wreck. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is, is they had a good way of handling stock, whether it be cattle or horses or whatever you know to get them broke to ride or just get them broke to handle yeah and you know after world war ii uh the horse industry crashed you know because of the mechanized revolution and and a lot of that horsemanship was lost and and decades later i mean if you do the math you know everybody worked horses up until the second world war even though you know that it probably cut back some you know around the turn of the century when people started getting tractors and stuff but it kind of sit idle there until the kind of the 70s, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even in the 50s, the horse show world kind of kicked in more so than it was before that. So the 50s or 60s, you know, people were, that's when the recreation world kind of first really kicked in. People started having show horses, training horses for people in town to go show on the weekends, basically, mm-hmm. whatever extent. You know, then by the 70s or 80s, you know, the economy is good. More people got involved and, and the clinicians went around. The horse shows got bigger. And, you know, the recreation world just, just kept booming, at, you know, to what it is today. And, you know, I think there's more more horses today. I don't know the statistics, but, but I'm sure there's more horses today, you know, in basically people's backyards or in the, in the show world than there, than there ever has been. Mm-hmm. 
it's interesting to hear you talk a little bit about the evolution or the, the change from when things start to be more mechanical. And, and I think you're right. I, I, I do, too. I feel like, you know, we there were really good stockmen and horsemen, you know, years ago. And, and then we, we kind of went through a phase where we lost some of that. I, I believe you're right, because I the only way they could have handled the volume of stock that they were handling is they had to have they were pretty good stockmen. They were pretty good horsemen. Well, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to continue. My guest today is Martin Black with Martin Black Horsemanship out of Bruno, Idaho. And when we return, I want to talk about the dilemma that we find really probably a lot of ourselves in here on working ranches across the country. And that is maybe there is that desire to use horses a little bit more, but doggone, it's pretty easy to jump on that four-wheeler and go out and get a job done as well, too. So we're going to talk about it when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Starting off in the right direction is essential to gaining an advantage later when you go to market your calves. And I have proof that the right direction is with Sim Angus Sired Calves. A 2020 study by K-State showed that Sim Angus Sired Steer Calves earn more at sale time than all other breed identified sire groups with at least 50 lots represented on Superior Livestock's 2020 summer sales. The proof's right there. For low-risk, high-potential calves with earning potential, be confident that Sim Genetics will give you more per head, period. Stand strong, Simmental. Your answer to a hassle-free breeding season is as easy as one call to Jorgensen Land and Cattle of Ideal South Dakota. This year, Jorgensen celebrates their 50th anniversary bull sale on Monday, April 11th at the ranch. They'll be selling 175 head of registered Angus bulls out of the great sires like El Dorado, Rito, Traveler, Emulations, and the largest offering of Emulus line bulls. Don't forget, Jorgensen's also offer a hassle-free bull leasing program that features excellent genetics while minimizing your risk. It's the 50th anniversary bull sale for Jorgensen Land and Cattle, Monday, April 11th at 1 p.m. at the ranch in Idaho. South Dakota. For information or sale catalog, go to jorgensenfarms.com. The sale will also be available on DV Auction. Jorgensen Land and Cattle, helping cattlemen build better cow herds for over 60 years. And we welcome you back here to the Working Ranch Radio Show. I'm Justin Mills. My guest today is Martin Black with Martin Black Horsemanship out of Bruno, Idaho. And if you're just joining us, you know, we really haven't talked a lot of deep and uh, big techniques when it comes to training. I guess I feel that's a, a topic that a lot of folks have their preferences or maybe the folks, their influencers that they really rely on. And so we really haven't delved into that as much as where the horse is somewhat fitting into to our working ranches here in 2022 and more modern era. And I think that's the dilemma, Martin, that we have with ranches in in today's day and age. When you look at the average size of the ranch out there is not more than maybe, you know, 30 head of cattle out there. And I know there's some large, large ranches out there, especially in your part of the country and and more out west and down into Texas and and so forth that are large and probably have full-time buckaroos that ride, ride the herds and keep track of these cattle through the summertime and so forth so but but back to where we're at with the average size out there and trying to find justification maybe there's that desire to use horses but at the same time when it really comes down to it it's really easy to just jump on the four-wheeler and go out there and do the job and so the time the economics of it is something that guys kind of kind of weighs in and i feel is our dilemma here in 2022 
Yes. Uh, and no, it takes longer to saddle a horse and, you know, go do a little job and, and uh, you, you could do it in half the time, you know, just to run out and check your cattle, say, for example, a little 40 acre pasture. Well, yeah, you could run around there on a four wheeler and see that everything's all right way quicker than you could, you know, probably just catch your horse and saddle it and have him ready to get on. Especially if it was a young horse, you know, you need to take a little extra time with. So, so that's changed. But on the other hand, uh, my son teaches at a college, and he's got a program. He's, he tries to show people where the value of selling made horses, you know, offsets the the, the time that you put into it. Um, and I, and he's got a good point there, I think. And and that is to be more specific. You, you know, if you're not selling horses, you don't get anything for your time, extra time that you put on that horse. But if you are, you know, in in four or five years down the road, you got a beat up wear out four wheeler that is worth nothing mm-hmm. versus you go do that job on a horse. And yeah, it might take you more time to get him saddled going, but at the end of that four or five year period, or even, even a 90 day period, if you know, you want to turn young horses over point is you can turn that young horse over. And if you're interested in, in the horsemanship side of it and the horse training side of it, if you want to use that term, uh, you can sell that horse for, I mean, holy hell, there's horses selling for hundreds of thousands of dollars now. I can't, gildings, I, I can't understand <laughs> yeah. this market today. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, ranch horses are in big demand. You know, I think, and I think that's part of the cycle here is, you know, the clinicians, and I don't mean to sound like I'm being critical, but, but they've sold this horse-breaking thing uh, to people, and, and, yeah, it's good till you get out of a walk and, you, you know, you've got to hit that cow off. And the horse still isn't broke. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people have, you know, it's took them a decade or two to figure this out. But they're better off to pay a little extra money, especially when the hospital bills factor into it. They're better off to pay a little extra money and just go to get a good broke horse. Well, where do you find them? Mm-hmm. You know, unless, unless, not that they're not other places, but one of the best places to find them is a good broke horse coming off a ranch. Mm-hmm. So if the ranch is... Uh, and, and that's what's selling for such ridiculous money. I mean, these good ranch horses are selling for more money than a lot of the, the top show horses. Um, explain that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They don't have to have a fancy pedigree or, you know, they like them to look pretty. Everybody likes a pretty horse. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, that. so there's an argument there that, you know, if a guy will just kind of take a little interest, take a little extra time, and go check your cattle on that colt like you're talking about, you know, calving or whatever it might be. Uh, they're, I mean, and, and young horses aren't that expensive. So if you do the economics of it, you know, you you pay a thousand or, or several thousand dollars for a young horse. You know, you go to turn him over, we'll just add a zero or two to it. Mm-hmm. That, that, that kind of changes the economics of just, and especially the price of four-wheelers today. Yeah. Well, you're kind of putting me in a bad spot here because I've been riding this horse and I really like it. I finally got it where I want. Now you're telling me I need to go sell it because, <laughs> because I think I think that's a dilemma though too. Is because we raise a few horses, uh, sell a few horses, but you know the tough thing is is like okay now we got to turn around and sell that horse that we just kind of got where we want it. Yeah. Well, get another one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's always been my family's deal. They was in the, the horse selling business, not horse trading. You know, there's there's a difference there of, of the product. And uh, so they'd, they'd get the sense. Some of the horses were just green broke. You know, the Army, they wanted 30 rides on them. I asked my uncle, I says, well, 
how much did some of them horses get rode? He says, oh, some of them didn't have five rides on them before the <laughs> Army. They, was, they would take it. Yeah. And, uh, but, again, young horses were or, or greener horses were worth more money back then, where today it, it's a different deal. You know, the, the, the uh, people that are buying them, they need that good, solid horse that's, you know, had the long hours on the ranch. And, and that's the deal about the show horses. They might be really well-trained, but they're not necessarily really well broke. And the, the genetics in these horses that are in the arena today, they start out way gentler. They don't have the self-preservation that the horses on the range used to have, you know, 100 years ago. They had to have a lot of, a lot of survival, and that's, that's what made them more challenging to break. But that's what kept them alive, you know, out on the range. They had more self-preservation. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want if, if you're not going to sell horses, and I'm not saying, you know, you just need to turn them over as fast as you can. You can if you want to. But where the, where the good market is, is that horse that's had, you know, say two to five years experience on the ranch. It's really settled. He's had some good long days. And, you know, you tie him to the trailer. He's not pawing and whinnying for his friends. You know, he just drops his head. He's, he's glad to have the time off. But, those are the horses that, that the recreation people can, can take and, you know, they can ride them once a month or just on weekends or whatever. And, and that, that fits them. And if they want to go rope on them, they want to go team pinning or whatever they're going to do on them. Yeah. They've had all that experience. They, they're, they're a very versatile horse to whatever level that the, the cowboy made them. Yeah. Well, we're kind of getting wrapped up here, and we haven't spent really a lot of time talking about specifics on training horses per se, but as we kind of get ready to tail out of here, I guess, as you travel around, you've kind of been based there out of your part of Idaho, Nevada area for a lot of years. As you're traveling around and, and dealing with a lot of different people, a lot of different mindsets out there, maybe just a couple comments as far as just some advice that you would offer guys and and keep in mind i mean you're dealing with folks listening that are probably you know round horses have horses and are familiar with it so even those folks that have the horses is there some some couple thoughts of advice that you'd offer folks in regards to just continuing to use our horses and make them a vital part of our ranching operations well i guess the short comment uh no matter what level of horse you're talking about or what level of experience to the person we're talking about the, the biggest thing I, that people do is they assume that the horse thinks like we do that they see things like we do and and uh one comment that, that tom dorms gave me that that i really hold things to is is he said try to see things from their perspective then you'll understand why they do what they do and that's very true with cattle or horses you know when i get you know a bunch of cattle you can't get through a gate or you can't get across the creek or something you know, and, and you just sit back and think about it or, or you, <laughs> while you're here, you know, trying to get your horse aired back up to go to round 10 or whatever it might be, you know, and then they, they just start walking through the gate on their own or they start walking across the creek on their own. It's like, well, what happens when I take the pressure off and they quit looking back at me? Then they kind of look the other way and they might go on their own. Just just those kind of things, you know, if, if they can just understand that that's a prey animal, their mind thinks different, their self-preservation is higher than ours not that we don't have it but but they don't reason like we do and we don't have the self-preservation that they do so if we can kind of see things the way they see things uh then then we have a lot better understanding how little pressure it might take to get them through that gate or you know, to accept us on their back, whatever animal we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Well, I thank you for taking the time. We've covered a lot of different things here today. I appreciate you taking the time to join us here on the Working Ranch Radio Show. 
Well, thank you for having me. And again, my guest today has been Martin Black with Martin Black Horsemanship out of Bruno, Idaho. And and you know, folks, I know that this topic of, of horses on the ranch, I, I know it, not every ranch has horses. There's some places that don't, and, and that's fine to each his own. And I think the, the fact is we have to know that there are still working ranches out there, and a lot of them that do rely on utilizing horses, and it's a, an important part of their of their ranch work. And so it was important that we have, I felt, this topic on our show at some point. Martin Black is somebody that I follow for quite some time, watched a lot of his videos, and to be quite honest with you, I really appreciate his approach towards things, his authenticity, uh, the fact that he grew up ranching, uh, was around a lot of horses, around a lot of livestock, his horsemanship, his stockmanship, all of that combined, and I appreciate his take and his view on it, So, which is why I wanted him to be a guest on our program. By the way, if you'd like to find out more about Martin Black, I invite you to go to his website at Martin black.net and you can also find him on social media as well well stay with us coming up next we're going to take a look at our long-term weather with meteorologist don day living in the country means working in the country and that calls for a tough tractor Well, Bobcat has 15 models in its compact tractor lineup from 21 to 58 horsepower. With the help of your local Bobcat dealer, you'll find a perfect match for your property and to-do list. Get a look at all the different models at Bobcat.com, and while you're there, use the Build and Quote tool to design your ideal machine. Get yourself one tough tractor from one tough animal. Bobcat. Visit Bobcat.com. Whoa, Herefords are the efficiency experts for a reason. In crossbreeding systems, Herefords boost pregnancy rates by 7% and add $30 per head in feed yard profitability. And Hereford genetics bring unrivaled hybrid vigor, longevity, and disposition. Now that'll stop you in your tracks. Come home to Hereford for more pounds, more calves, and more profit. Visit Hereford.org for a sale near you. And welcome back to the Working Ranch Radio Show as we head now to uh, look at our long-term weather. Meteorologist Don Day joining us. And uh, Don, uh, you'd said, I don't know, maybe several shows ago or you know, maybe I was listening to one of your podcasts this time of the year about the best you can do is about three days out when it comes to, to forecasting. And uh, as we look into this middle part of April uh, and what we have coming up, we know there is going to be some weather, some colder temperatures. And you were saying it's maybe the best shot of moisture some is going to get in in, that they've had in a while yeah of course it depends on where you are but it does look like uh, the the northern rockies the central rockies and then parts of the northern plains uh, are going to be able to see some really good chances of rain and uh, snow in fact uh, the system is going to be cold enough there's going to be mostly snow falling in some areas so the areas i'm talking about that at least from this point that we see uh there's going to be portions of uh the Pacific Northwest, uh, Idaho, Montana, uh, a lot of Wyoming, uh, the Dakotas, especially South Dakota, Nebraska, and parts of Colorado um, are, are in store to, to see some good chances of rain and snow. And we do expect that that's going to translate to the east uh, into the upper Midwest and parts of the Corn Belt uh, later next week as well. Uh, the areas that 
look like they're not going to get into the action will be, again, those southern areas. Mm -hmm. I think Interstate 70 is kind of a dividing line. Uh, You go south of Interstate 70 across Kansas into Colorado. South of that interstate, I think, is an area that is going to get sheltered a little bit. Um, But it's going to be north of 70, along 80, along Interstate 90, kind of using the interstates as our markers. Those are the areas that I think have the best chance of moisture. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you say that, of course, uh, that's not necessarily great news for them. Southern Plains, uh, where they've been having the fires down in Texas, I see in your forecasts on one of your podcasts still showing kind of Texas area and in that still being pretty dry. Yeah, and, and I, I, unfortunately, I'm just not optimistic. There's there's much help coming, at least in the next week or ten days. Um, one thing that is, is is evolving is a really active jet stream from the northern Pacific across the Gulf of Alaska into British Columbia, the Pacific Northwest, then going across the northern tier of the U.S. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of weather across the northern tier of the U.S., really coast to coast for the first. Uh, two two weeks of April, so we're 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 through our really our first one here, but mm-hmm. the second third weeks especially next week and the week after. Now, hopefully, what'll happen sometimes is you'll get cold fronts that'll get drug across the southern plains that can bring active weather. Of course, <laughs> you don't get the weather you sometimes want because yeah, that's when yeah. you get severe weather. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I do see some potential, but it's definitely the northern areas in the next couple of weeks that are going to have the best chances. All right. Well, that's uh, maybe some optimism. As you said, sometimes the tail goes with the hide. We may not want the cold temperatures and the snow, but we do need the moisture. Don, thanks for joining us, giving us a look at uh, what we got in store here for the next couple of weeks for our weather. Thanks for having us. Meteorologist Don Day with a look at our long-term weather. His website can be found at dayweather.com. Well, stay with us. We're going to put a wrap on this week's episode when we return on the Working Ranch Radio Show. Do you have a young child, grandchild, niece, or nephew that loves the weather and wants to learn more? Day Weather has produced a children's weather journal full of weather facts, fun weather experiments, coloring pages, and pages to record weather observations for every season of the year. The weather journal is for ages 3 to 7 and designed to be fun and educational. The interactive weather projects are fun for the whole family to take part in. For only $10, the Day Weather Weather Journal is a great gift idea for any occasion. Click on our Amazon link to order at dayweather.com. Well, as we bring things to a close on this edition of the Working Ranch Radio Show, I want to thank you for joining us. This has been a production of Working Ranch Magazine. Join us right here every Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon Eastern on Rural Radio, Channel 147, Sirius XM. I'm your host, Justin Mills, and until next time, keep your chin down and your mind in the middle. So long. So long.